familiar intro lyrics there mr alvin lee 10 years after so many decades ago with such prophetic thoughts and words uh boy if he was alive today he'd probably be smiling chris so here it is it's a uh, tuesday uh, 13th 11 13 18 does that sound ominous to you chris well, any more about every day is ominous the way I see it. Well, it, you, you you could you do have a point, okay? And they, they're all every day. You just never know what to expect. Uh, but you can come in and key some of that stuff into their numerology at least, and it's uh, well, it's fun discussion. It's fun uh, mental play, trying to joust with our traditional rulers of the universe enemies. So anyway, it's a Tuesday. It's the 13th. Uh, Chris has joined us here at the start because we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. And uh, gosh, it's uh, Roger Sales, Radio Ranch, People's Patriot Network. I guess you all know that or you wouldn't be here. Uh, we got a small group of people that adhere to the message that go out of their way to listen to these programs. And now we can actually spread them around with CastBox and uh, get a little more penetration, people that weren't able to listen or catch a replay can hear and and uh you know it should help us a great deal in the long run i'm real pleased with that addition to our tool chest if you will and uh so here we go a lot of things happening a lot of things to discuss financial geopolitical domestically political uh all kinds of crap probably coming down today mr mueller is supposed to release some new indictments today chris and um so it's all happening as as the old Simon and Garfunkel song. There's an old Simon and Garfunkel song a long time ago. It was a, a slow song, and it started out, it's all happening at the zoo. Remember that? <laughs> well, I like their Illuminati song better, uh, The Sounds of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again about a vision softly creeping that left its seeds while I was sleeping pure d illuminati yeah well i'd never thought about it before but makes a lot of sense let me get shane in here shane wants to join us and just sit back there shane how you doing today how's silicon valley they're in a little bit of turmoil out there apple you know how much apple's lost in value in the last week shane those uh, your neighbors over there hello shane yeah, maybe yes, just sorry, right here yeah, right front, front and center, Shane. Question. Yes. You know, do you know how yes. much value Apple, your neighbors, have lost in the last week? I have no idea. I'm not how, watching the market. How about $150 billion? That's with a B. All right. Okay. Aren't they a trillion-dollar company, though? You're not anymore. No. <laughs> 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 and uh, also, as of yesterday, GE was down to $7 a share. Uh, it, 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 you know, I remember Jim Sinclair in one of their interviews here a while back, and he said, listen, it's already broken. 
You just hadn't seen it manifested yet. We're seeing it manifest now. So uh, that's going on. We'll keep our finger on the pulse of that as we go through the next couple hours together. Uh, a couple of very important things that are shaping up, though. Thursday is going to be a real important day for a couple of reasons. One is because Bitcoin Cash is going through a hard fork. So if any of you want any free money, go out and get some Bitcoin Cash and keep it in a good wallet here, and you'll get that doubled on Thursday. Uh, but even more importantly on the negative side is that Thursday, there's a rule with hedge funds. Yeah, hedge funds are nothing but the, the modern-day equivalent of what they called in the 20s bucket shops, just pools of unconstrained, unrestricted, un, unsupervised money. That's what hedge funds, that's the service they provide in the system today. Same, you know, same thing. They do the same thing over and over again. They just change the label. So now bucket shops are called hedge funds, and they're a little more uh, regulated, a little more scrutinized, and uh, they've got a few rules they got to follow, not only with the government and the regulators, but also with their clients. And one of the rules they've got to follow, guys, is that if anybody wants to make a withdrawal out of the hedge fund, they put their request in, and the hedge fund has guess how many days to honor it? Fifteen. How about 45? 32. 45. They got 45 oh days to honor the withdrawal. And as of Thursday being the 15th, and it keys into the end of the year and all the different fiscal things that key in on the end of the year and taxes and this, that, and the other, well, they are shaking in their boots for Thursday. Hmm. Okay, so that that's shape. Well, yeah, yes, it is very interesting, isn't it? And uh, so that's going to be a big day this week. Uh, and my sense is that you're going to see a whole bunch of people request their money out of hedge funds Thursday. Uh, and evidently what some people had done in October was pull money out and put it over into the gold and silver ETFs, which, of course, in our viewpoint is a mistake because you're still dealing with. As a Bill Holter came out with an article yesterday, Jim Sinclair's partner, you know what the damn leverage is at COMEX now on gold? 382 to 1. Now, what that means is if you've put your money into that EMF, Electronic Traded Fund, ETF, and you think you bought an ounce of gold, well, there's an ounce of gold in there, but you and 381 other people own it. That seriously dilutes your return on investment you might reasonably be expected to realize. I think it might totally negate your return on investment for a whole bunch of those people. Okay, so that's the game that's being played. We fractional reserve gold. We fractional reserve currency. We fractional reserve everything, and it makes it look like there's more there than there is. So uh, anyway, in this game of cards, game of musical chairs that these guys have set up for us that uh, many of us unbeknownst played it for years, and didn't understand now we understand we're a little bit smarter and we're uh you know thinking about and making the right moves to uh, cut them off at the pass because the canyon is narrowing in the direction on which they are traveling hmm. okay and we can sit up on the canyon rim like the indians used to do and wait and let them get way down there in that narrow spot and then drop boulders on them <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. It sure does. 
I think there's a lot of satisfaction that'd be derived in that activity. <laughs> if we were to charge for tickets, I think we might reduce the national debt with oh uh, a show like that. Now, I'm going to tell you how we reduce the national debt is we get enough people to understand this concept and we get enough people to file affidavits with the Secretary of State and we get it to a point visibly where we can say, there's fraud involved here since we're the collateral of the fraud for the fake money currency supply, then I guess all those bonds just aren't worthless if you own them. And we can take the numbers and trace it back to the owners of the bonds who've been getting the payments and if you're one of them well guess what pal no more now we can turn around because there's fraud involved and start going after their assets that's the ideal scenario i mean i know that the uh uh the 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 the, the fact that that's ever going to happen there's probably very slim chances ever going to happen but it's there and it's true and it's solid and I'm going to guarantee you, those guys know it. We don't. And they're scared as hell of it. I guarantee you. So that's the importance of what we do here today. Listen, here's an interesting little deal. Uh, John Casera, our buddy, uh, found uh, last week or over the weekend, I think it was over the weekend, he found the thumb drive uh, with all the early programs on it. So all of those early shows we've located uh, in a on a one thumb drive, and we'll see if we can't do something with them. But at least they're safe and they're located. So we really have a litany of all the programs that I've ever done since we started this now. Cool, cool, coolio. Yeah, I thought so. I was real glad to hear that from John. Thanks, John. Well, John's just a good guy, you know. He's one of us, man, and. Uh, I could never thank him enough for what he did in the early days of this project. Uh, there's a man that makes great sacrifices for what he believes in. So, Chris, you've made great sacrifices for what you believe in. You're still in the process, unfortunately, for you. But I, there may be a there. Yeah, yeah, may, you may have a little leprechaun in your background because there may be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow on this one. Well, there could be. In fact, I'm not so sure that I wasn't made a sacrifice by the principalities of evil in the synagogue of Satan, uh, trying to throw me on the fires of Moloch to completely obliterate and smoke me to the ashes and have me go away permanently. That seems to be their uh, plan and device and scheme. Now, Chris, uh, I've been really. Let me ahead. ask you. Let's let's delve into the background of this. Obviously, you were real active out there in the Vegas, Clark County area in the Patriot movement. And the one thing that separates you from all the rest of the Patriots generally is your professional background over in their camp. Now, they don't like somebody coming out of their camp with that expertise and those labels and that inference and coming over to our side and agitating and start to educate people, and they get real upset about that. And, and besides that, what else do you think happened that made them target you the way they have? Well, you know, Roger, that's something that I have seriously self-examined very deeply and considered and I truly don't know precisely, although there is a strong suggestion. I went to a uh, Richard Gage Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth 
several years ago, not long after they put themselves together, maybe it was 2004, thereabouts, uh, 2002, post 911. And um, I saw a TSA agent there that had been either quit or was terminated out uh, McCarran because he had observed some of the policies of the Department of Homeland Security, TSA in particular, which is uh, really under the DNI, the Defense National Information, or whatever it's called. I forget what DNI is an acronym for. I apologize. No intent to deceive. But that's actually an arm of the CIA, uh, Defense National Intelligence, I think. But they're it. all under one and, big umbrella with Clapper or Brennan or one of those creeps up there at the head of it. Well, yeah, avowed communist, uh, so-called pretend Wahhabi Mushalims or Islamists or Islamists, if you like that better. Yeah, didn't Brennan uh, convert? Yeah. Brennan converted to Islam, didn't he? Was it him or Clapper? Uh, I think it was Brennan. I think I'm so, not. too. No, I think it was also. By the way, and let me just uh, interrupt something on my, did you hear that little thing I uh, at first, evidently, Jerome Corsi's getting indicted today, Roger Stone, and a couple other people on this Mueller thing. Mueller's not going, he's going after people like Jerome Corsi now, who is absolutely, obviously, some sort of a Mossad tie-in agent. Because I heard him on oh, Alex well. Jones call in and, and talk about the information they'd received and they couldn't have gotten anywhere else but there. I don't remember the specifics, but I sure remember the impression. And uh, I know when Corsi first came out years ago on World Net Daily, I was trying to get this across to him. And boy, he is one Christian Zionist, okay? He's big dispensationalist. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is really quite intriguing. You know, we saw Chucky Schumer absolutely just whining and sniveling and wanting to protest to the high heavens because of Matthew Whitaker, the former University of Iowa football He's player, Marine. Sh Schumer's back out of the closet, have you noticed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's back at st stage left and on front stage central now, and uh, he, he's yeah, literally <laughs> he's man. Quiet, you had jumping up and down. You couldn't turn on it, turn look at a news uh, uh, site or anything else without seeing somewhere Chuck Schumer in there. That was you know a year or two ago. Oh man, the last six eight That's months he's been MIA. Yes, well, a few of them have been laying low. I don't know exactly what they're. Plot was well, doing it. They well, playing low. They're flexing their muscles now because they've overturned a couple of these with their bogus. Oh, hey, look, we just found eight thousand ballots after the other guy had been declared the winner, and now we're the winner. Golly, aren't we lucky? You know, I just opened up. I opened up that bag of Cracker Jacks, and I stuck my hand all the way in the bottom, and I came out with eight thousand ballots that hadn't been counted. <laughs> That's kind of like I was down at the Maxima Hotel one time, and they were supposedly going to give away some big hot shot free nights at the Maxima or something other. And there was a entourage sitting with the owners of the Maxima over a table, and uh, they were pretty hoity-toity looking people sitting with them. And I saw the girl, and remember, I'm not just any guy. I'm a former Nevada State Game Control Board enforcement agent who has been critically schooled in detecting cheating at table games and things of that sort of thing, card counting and uh, other sorts of nefariosity, marking cards and 
uh, slugging slot machines and all this sort of stuff that they send you to school in uh, for the Nevada State Gaming Control Board's Enforcement Division. And I sit there, and I was it was daytime, so it was plenty of light, and they were going to have this drawing of everybody put their name in there, and I sit there and I watched it. I watched the girl palm the winning ticket in her hand, then reach in there and pretend to pull it out, and wow, what a surprise! Somebody sitting at the owner's table won that free room stay there at the Maxim Hotel. What a surprise! So that even <laughs> even in in Vegas, even the giveaways are are staged, right? Yeah, well, you know, I've got to where I won't even enter or buy a ticket for anything because I know usually the fix is in. Uh, <laughs> it's just really discouraging. <laughs> That's too funny, man. Well, uh, you know, whenever you know these things and you know what to look for, the tells, as they call them in the uh, industry, um, the tells are pre-occurring actions that must take place in order to make the precipitating alteration in the normal randomness of the event uh, subverted. Yeah, and still instance, at, when you're going to yet yet still appear it. yet still appear random. Yeah, well, uh, when you're dealing blackjack or any other card game, in order to fix the game, you have to know what that t- card on top is, and there's a number of different peaks, as they call them, P-A-K where they sneak a peek at the top card to know whether to deal something other than the top card to their outside agent, inside friend at the table to alter the course of the randomness of the game. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with big flipping uh, uh, multi-deck shoe or something like that, it's really important. They do heel peaks and bubble peaks and flashes and uh, various and sundry methodologies of tampering with the odds. And then an inside-outside agent relationship develops, and we're taught to perceive and watch these things and watch these tells uh, that people demonstrate that telegraph what their intents are, and that way you can document it and you can later take them down. It's, It's really quite an intriguing science in and of itself. I can imagine. I can only imagine that the stakes that are rolled out there. Speaking of John Kassarab, he's joined us. Hey, John. Oh, good. Hey, how you doing? Good. Listen, I, I we don't we on on the comments there on the on the uh, shows. There's one other show I haven't found yet. I know I've got it, and it's not all of them. Um, you did one show with uh, Uncle So and So and somebody named Jenny, I think. And you did a three day stint there. You um, before you were on Bennett. No, I never that did any. I, th- I don't know that I ever did any before well, I was on you'll Bennett. Hear it. Yeah, you'll hear it because I have it. Okay. So um, I well, thought I thought those first three days was uh, it was really good, really great explanation of everything. Well, those are and the really were, you know that's when I got on with Bennett and we'll just sideline Chris for a minute. We'll get back to his stuff in a second, but it, it, since you called in and brought it up. Um, and what happened then was Bennett and I done Bennett for many years. We'd known each other through silver lawn. That's how we really became closer acquainted. And then I'd been trying to tell him this stuff for all those years, except I didn't have any explanation except the tax side. And a lot of people that just goes right over their head and he's one of them. And so, uh, at some point after the accident, 
and uh, uh, I, I, we were talking, and he said, Roger, I was trying to explain it to him as I was understanding it more, because at that point I had at least the nucleus of it. And uh, he goes, Roger, I don't know what in the hell you, you're telling me. He said, I know you do, and, but I, I, all these years I just hadn't understood it, and I know that you do. And, and of course, he's a guy with a radio show, so he's looking for programming. And he goes, I'll let you on the air with it. And so I thought we had three successive days to get that on the air. And I didn't think I'd ever have another chance. Okay. And so, uh, and so what happened was we got one show out, I think. And then I was living in Argentina in San Rafael and somebody cut the fiber optic cable between Mendoza city and San Rafael. And we didn't have internet for a week. Okay, and I was freaking out because I'm sitting here trying to do this show, trying to figure out any way I can do it, et cetera, et cetera. And then we came back on, and after those three shows were over, where I shot, I literally machine gunned the information because I didn't know how much time it would take. There was a lot of that background information with a lot of the legal definitions and stuff. Back then, that's the only way I knew to present this. And uh, after that was over, Bennett invited me on every Wednesday, and I was on every Wednesday for quite some time. And then we moved over to ex-wife number two, and, you know, here we are down the line. But that's the way that unfolded, and why is because some stupid worker cut the Internet cable. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it, was a, it was an interesting time. It's made a big difference in my life. I know that um, the ex-wife number two, uh, Greg says there's some, some things he's got missing. I know I, I got all of those, too. Plus, I got a bunch of those other shows you did with other people. Yeah, right. You're the one. John would go around any time I was in. The, the book was coming out, and the information was new and hot, and it'd be on other shows, so I, which I de rarely get an invite to anymore, But uh, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but... Um, yeah, that that's that's exactly what happened, and you've got Deanna Spingola, and, and I've got some of those too. But I think with the patchwork, we'll we'll be able to get most of them, and just to have an archive. Oh yeah, I don't think we've uh, I don't think I've missed anything because I went back and picked up everything that uh, you know prior, and I'm not convinced Bennett sent me everything. I got what he sent me, and that's all we got. Well, you know, so yeah, we'll have a good we'll have a good uh, skeleton of, of it. And we may miss a couple, but you know, such is life. Um, but anyway, thanks. I really that was nice news over the weekend. I told Greg about it this morning, so uh, thanks for stumbling well, I, on. I sent him a, uh, a note on Skype. I haven't heard back from him yet because I got to get him to him. Yep. Well, we'll work on that. Um, so, other than that, did you have any comments, John? Did you did you know that? No, the 15th... no. I'm getting ready. Getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to do my shows here and help my. Uh, oh, that's right. My my stuff to the dump, and I just had to let you know that there's this three there's this three days that were there. You were on. They were talking about you. Uh, she was dealing with some kind of traffic uh, ticket. They had a pretty good show. I think it was an uncle and a niece, and uh, they didn't let you on the first day until. Damn, uh, probably in the last half hour, maybe half hour, forty-five minutes, and then you came back two successive days after that and finished up, and then uh, you seemed to you disappeared there for a while, and then you showed up on Bennett. Yeah, well, I disappear often as as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all. and I then i go. and then i reappear in the most unlikely places thanks john all right bye i'll see you later
Okay, Chris, we can get back to you, and we've gotten on a, tri- a, a side trail of gaming and stuff and a little bit of that, but what we want to get back is to the nucleus, and I'd like to know that you were talking about the Richard Gage in one of his early, obviously, you had a meeting in Vegas. Vegas is a great venue for meetings like all kinds of stuff, as everybody knows, and you're fortunate enough or unfortunate enough, whichever the case may be, to live there. <laughs> And so you <laughs> yeah. sashayed, you sashayed over to Richard Gage's thing, and I, you can just bet your bottom dollar that thing was full of informants. Well, it was uh, quite interesting. He showed his video, showed where the towers go, and showed the implosion and the free fall controlled demolition blast, and talked about the engineering aspects that made it undeniable, irrefutable, and immutable that this was a controlled demolitions planned takedown of these buildings, especially Building 7, which was not hit by a plane, which was ordered pulled by Lucky Larry Silverstein. What a coincidence! <laughs> uh, coincidentally, where a number of the agencies like the there FBI was, and the NSA and CIA was, uh, had in, a lot of records. Let, let me see if I can <laughs> let me see if I can paraphrase it. And 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 there was such a terrible loss of life that we just had to pull. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Never mind the fact that they'd hauled all the uh, gold that was stored in the basements of a couple of those buildings. Oh, no, no, no. Not all. They missed one because the building fell on the truck. Oh, well, they may have gotten one delayed. Yeah, they got two. I think there was three, and they got two out of three out is what I've read, if my memory is correct. Yeah, you may have spent tell on that that I'm not appraised of. I am always intrigued to hear new stuff. And, you know, I listen to Mark Cornkey, and he's on the Oklahoma City and Waco and some of the other uh, things, the Montana Freeman that he actually was first-party witness to. And, you know, these are just really, you know, being a former law enforcement professional and from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and having been a practicing law enforcement professional at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, down at Lawton, Oklahoma, and I was attached to CID with that uh, for an element of that time. I was with the uh, United States Army, military police, and other organizations. And, you know, and I also involved in a lot of really interesting training things. I was a youngster back then. I think I was about 23, 25 when I went in. I went in, uh, I think it was 1969 to, no, 73 to 76. That's when I was in there. So I was born in 51, so I had to be about 23, 24. So I was an older guy when I went in the military, and that kind of gave me a little different perspective than some of the younger, more malleable minds that they had to twist and turn the direction they wanted. And uh, it was, I was involved in radio production there at the Post Information Center, and we developed a lot of the training protocols and programs that were rolled up by TRADOC, the Training and Doctrine Command, including systems engineering of training, uh, how to operate a theodolite or a gamma goat, and various and sun, the field artillery digital FADAC computer act, uh, that would uh, compute firing triangulation computations and moments to get fire for effect at the exact point they wanted them dropped in on on the enemy encampments. So that systems engineering of training was a TRADOC-wide program that was pretty hoity-toity, and it was basically to break down a task that you wanted to perform 
and you had to accept certain what they termed givens. Uh, these were things that were existing that you must realize in order to make other extrapolation and uh, numerical functions that would go into taking a operation apart. And so when you learn to engineer systems by that methodology and by recording the programs over and over and listening to the high-speed reproductions and going over and over the language of reading the scripts in my head as a narrator and an announcer in soundproof booths, a lot of that just <laughs> cursorily seeped into my brain, although I wasn't trying to absorb it, I still effectually did, and it kind of ruminated and germinated in my head over the years, and it seems to have blossomed in my later life and come to the forefront and give me the ability to not only engineer, but to reverse engineer and to take apart video scenes by looking at them over and over, reversing them and watching things happen that are undeniable before your eyes and be able to pick up the defects, the tells of what took place uh, to reveal the deviosity of certain people like uh, the Matthew Schaefer thing where they shot this poor exterminator guy that was crying and whining and sniveling and he was so scared he couldn't comply even though he wanted to comply and this guy shot him to death multiple times with a high-powered rifle in the, whole, in the hallway of the hotel where he was spraying the bugs and somebody thought his bug sprayer was a rifle. <laughs> Holy smokes. Well, I mean, these things are insane. The Lavoie Finnicum's another one. I did the... Uh, uh, I worked with other investigators of pretty extensive experience of high-level uh, police investigators and detectives and stuff around the nation deconstructing the Boy Finnicum shooting, the Tucson, Arizona, uh, Gerald Lee Loeffner, the uh, Aurora, Colorado, James Jimmy Neutron Holmes, who coincidentally was the son of Robert Holmes, who wrote the algorithms, the mathematical program for fixing the LIMOR and the commodities exchanges and Wall Street and all these other global stock systems so they could hedge hedge of money <laughs> and high-grade the bets uh, before they took place on the thing by playing the float, uh, if you will, or the slush funds, uh, capitalizing on their foreknowledge, kind of like Mr. Rothschild and Rockefeller did uh, with Napoleon and the war at the bar whenever they told them that one way it went and they bought everything up for cents on the dollar and then when banks cleared up, they cut themselves a fat hog. That's the way they do it. Had, uh, uh, you know, privatized the profits and publicized the losses. That's the formula. Well, sure. That, that's kind of a, a Nobel concept. Charge the people when you lose, and if you make any profit, stick them in your own pocket. I'm not sure that sounds exactly fair, equitable, or honest. That seems to be unconscionable, predatory, and it's felony criminal conversion of people's interest to their own interest by that sort of a scheme of double booking, if you will. Well, it uh, goes back to the Vegas city motto. You know what that is? Heads we win, tails you lose. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, if you've got the, you got the nuts, the fix is in, and you're going to win. It's just a matter of how much. In fact, I used to do some handicapping at football games on uh, parlay cards and the like, and I would take each game apart, and I'd run the whole gamut of pros and colleges. I found the colleges to be 
uh, a more viable bidding option because the pros were pretty much fixed, and on any Sunday you could figure that the worst dog was going to bite the highest favorite, even if it was a lot of money, if the interest was in the house. And so I, uh, I created what I termed a situational parlay where I would always include a late Sunday or a Monday night game on my card, and if I had a 10 or 11 or 15 team or whatever it was, if I had hit them all going into that uh, crescendo game on the end, I had time to go around and shop the books and find the best advantage of point spreads that may have moved from the time the line was made on the card and take a pretty good advantage uh, by doing due diligence and applying systems engineering of training to create a situation where I had the option of winning both sides, and sometimes I'd have a point-and-a-half, two-point spread uh, between what I had originally got the card at and what the game went off, and I'd do a layoff bet on the opposite side uh, no matter who I had. One time it was Oklahoma and Nebraska, and I had a pretty big one over at the Hilton on their better odds contest, and uh, it was a big, long return on investment, something like 2500 to one or something like that, and I think I had $20 on the card, so it was a pretty long deal. So it was not a big stretch of the imagination to go down and lay $500 on the opposite side, no matter who your hometown favorite the Sooners or the Huskers was. And it's a, you know you're going to make money. It's just a question of how much at that point. Yeah. And you do have a good option of winning both sides if it falls right on that point spread within the gain the right within the point range you could you could get a double dip out of that huh yes yes it was a pretty sophisticated uh, point of view i thought that i had come to the conclusion of by analyzing and system engineering the situation and having studied as a gaming control board enforcement agent sports bet gaming and you know, all these different table games and slot machines all have odds predicated on the number of plays versus the payouts and, you know, the return on investment, the vigorish, the amount the house keeps, the rake, they sometimes call it off a poker table. Uh, you know, they rake 5 or 10% of a pot whenever you're gaming. That's how the house operates those places and makes a winning profit for operating a, a gaming table or, or even the... Uh, the craps tables, uh, the big six wheels, uh, these are all different gamings that have odds options based upon the numbers and the occurrences on the table. Yes. Now, but, <laughs> but without getting that. too in-depth in that, because we're not like talking about sports betting and we're not a gambling show and uh, all that kind of stuff, I want to get back to the Rich, Richard, Richard Gage thing. We've kind of gotten off track a little bit here and find out if we can <laughs> ascertain with some – kind of even halfway certainty of what triggered them to come after you with both feet. Well, I, I truly am not clear on that at this point. That's something I'm trying to find out. You know, I had known because I had visited the Clark County, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, Metro PD records section, which is now over on Martin Luther King Drive, uh, since they built a new power palace over there. And I went over there to get my records, my scope, the sheriff's computer operating parameter, whatever, it, I forget what scope stands for, but it's basically their MCT, the Metro Computer Terminal, that is in every car and other locations. 
so that they have instant access to data. Sure. And I had, you know, I'd worked with that system when I was with Metro here, so I was familiar with what the screens looked like. And, you know, it wasn't anything new to me, but I, when I was treated and saw what I saw from the attendant at the window, and they have multiple windows, they probably have 15 or 20 windows inside that place for all the different records and work card checks and different Intel data, metadata things they do at Metro and uh, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And the little girl behind the counter just acted so strange and curious whenever I was there. I was, she was a younger female. She was being trained. She always had somebody behind her looking over her shoulder. It might have been a uniformed Metro officer. It could have been a, a clerk that worked in the division there, but there was always somebody, a superior, overlooking her uh, conducting of her training business. And she was pretty jovial and we were having some chit chat while we were doing it and trying to make it a pleasant work experience and you know customer experience and i told her that you know uh, there could be some dangerous information there i was concerned but i wasn't a sovereign citizen i wasn't a terrorist and so on and so forth well while i was talking to her i saw her act a little strange towards the end of the transaction and i saw her look up at this uh, older woman that was her overseer and try to catch the glance of her eye with the attendant's eye that was working with me, was looking, trying, for several seconds. You know, it was a, a extraneous gaze, if you will, that suggested to me that she was really wanting to get her attention, and she didn't. Well, the woman then, shortly thereafter, stepped forward half a step. She was looking off at something else. And when she did, the little girl reached over with her right hand and touched her left thigh to her overseer and then extended out her right hand and her sinewy finger to the bottom left of her computer screen. And it was on my right. And then she moved it very slowly across the bottom to hyper accentuate her overseer's attention to something on the screen. At that time, this was back in... November or around there of 2016, but at that point I didn't know what it was. I kind of tried to pry it out of her, but she wasn't talking, and she said even if I purchased it, uh, the information from my online database didn't guarantee I would get everything because there could be some classified things in there that I wouldn't have, and I might get nothing. And I like to point it out that would seem like bait and switch advertising. And that if I was paying for something and got nothing, wouldn't that be obtaining money under false pretenses? <laughs> well, I'm sure she liked that response, being a trainee. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got my little printout of my scope that said I didn't have any arrests or any pending uh, cases or anything else at that time. But then later on, it went kind of crazy, and of course the... So it was already planted, it was already planted, you think, by the time you had that experience with her. Had you been to the gauge thing before that already? I, I had, and even more importantly than that, back in, I think it was 2004, I went to my dad's funeral back in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and this is where the gauge thing kind of ties together. They had this former TSA agent, a supervisor that was there who had left, that spoke about the policies of the Department of Homeland Security, the, the TSA, the, uh, the so-called checkers out there. And we know they hired a lot of criminals 
that had felony crimes and sex crimes and stuff to work at TSC because got to look at all those naked bodies on Michael Sheratoff's son of Satan's uh, body scanners well, he does, sold to the government. Well, I was going to ask you, doesn't the TSA stand for the Titty Search Agency? Well, I went back even farther, and I did some diligent research, and going back to pre-Hitler days, the brown shirts, the Oberstuberling, the Tsar Stormtroopers, uh, I think is what the premise that they originate from for the TSA, the Tsar Stormtroopers, is kind of what it loosely translates to. And this was the Stasi, the secret police, the KGB, uh, the Gestapo of, of the so-called Nazi Germany, the Eichkenazi Germany, uh, of this Bolshevik group that moved from Russia after they killed about 122 million in Russia, they moved throughout and they moved into uh, Germany and started working there to weave their nefariosity, dediosity, and mass murder plots. And I think that... Uh, Hitler was probably part of this group, at least he was surely funded about them, along with Churchill and Stalin and FDR and all these other people around the global uh, Bolsheviks. Uh, in fact, that uh, that could be B-A-A-L-S, uh, capital H-A, and uh, Shah, and then the V-I, the V-I is not insignificant, but it's six in the six-point star bar chamber of Satan's uh, view. Uh, and so where the Balsh and Shah comes from Hashatan, that's Satan in their book, or Lucifer. And so the Bolsheviks are kind of a interesting group in and of themselves, and that particular nomenclature or title that they call it is uh, worthy of paying some particular heed to, I think. Yes, but don't forget the Bolsheviks and the fascists really hated each other. They didn't work together. They were scared to death of each other. They're big rivals. Well, I, it could have been controlled opposition. I don't know. It wasn't there, but I, I'll take your word for it. Well, I but mean, so, look at what happened between it, Russia and Germany. That's all you need to look at. I mean, you know, they were uh, they didn't want the communists in those cultures, and they'd been down there trying to ferment all of that Marxist crap, and had been, uh, there was a lot of friction there from what I remember my reading my impressions but anyway i want to get back to this gauge thing if we, if we can even come down so the audience can understand a little bit because you've gone through holy hell the last couple of years and and now we find out that you've got this uh uh no fly terrorist watch list deal on you which evidently is causing all the commotion you're describing to us and it would be interesting to find out if we could i don't we may never know what the origins of that were well, whenever I had gotten a phone call here in Las Vegas that my dad was dying and I needed to get there quick from one of my aunts or an uncle, I think it was my aunt's husband that called me, uh, Eldon, and said, you need to get here quick because your dad's dying and uh, don't know how long he's got. So I naturally went down to McCarran Airport with cash money in my pocket and uh, traveling bag. My sweetheart took me down there and I bought me a one-way ticket to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where he lived, and uh, paid cash and went to the gate to catch my plane. And, of course, going through the TSA scanner thing, uh, part of what I had learned at the Richard Gage meeting was a lot of times they use preloaded exam gloves 
so that whenever they touched your luggage, they could claim that you had some sort of explosive or gunpowder residue on there, and there was reason for further uh, special examination procedures and uh, investigation. And so I was sitting there, a red-eye flight, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, paying well, cash for a ticket. Well, you, you may have. You did, two th- you did a couple of things that really throw up flags. One thing is you paid cash for the ticket. You bought it at the spur right. of the moment, and you only bought a one-way ticket. That Well, that's exactly right. And whenever you construct the policy terms for putting someone to initiate a red flag, a warning, an alert, uh, very broadly, without giving them any opportunity to explain mitigating, extenuating special circumstances like a death in the family, a birth, or perhaps a religious trip. This is exactly from these cases that I'm reading, uh, Latif versus Holder, Arm John versus uh, Department of Homeland Security, Ibrahim versus Department of Homeland Security. Uh, this is exactly what they talk about, that, you know, these things that initiate the threat security center alerts and the nomenclating of somebody to put them into the terrorist watch list, these are very, very subjective and interpretive. And the unfortunate aspect is the alleged national security implications and classified information of these agencies and how they supposedly derive to put somebody in there, or they keep it secret from the people, so that way you can maybe finding yourself on a list and you may not know you're there and not understand what's going on in your life and why you're being treated the way you're on, but it's because some government agent, whether he may be uh, conflicted, biased, might be a communist or a Nazi or a fascist that works behind the computer and or an, or, to be a government agent. Or an Israeli. Oh, or he may like your wife or your house or your car. Least we be, <laughs> yeah. least we be redundant. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are a lot of potentialities for inserting their own opinions to supersede things, and there's no oversight effectually. In fact, uh, an IG report from the Department of Justice looking into the operations of the Threat Security Center, the Threat Assessment Analyst, and so on and so forth, says that they haven't reached an agreement, nor is they haven't signed a contract putting the whole subject because they're an autonomous government agency under the legislative powers of the POTUS uh, as the chief executive, the commander-in-chief, or chief financial officer in his Emergency War Powers Act and declaring all Americans to be enemies under the state under the 1933 Emergency Bank Act by FDR. And uh, these are things that are pretty uh, offering on what's going on today. And I think this might be, whether it was the TSA agent there, whether it was by actions of buying a ticket in cash and flying one way to Oklahoma City, which, you know, they had some of the uh, supposed uh, 911 terrorists flying out there and doing some of their training there at Tinker Field. And, you know, even when yeah, I was right. in Lawton, we used to have people from all over the world, Israelis, Iraqis, uh, uh, Iran, Afghanistan, they would all come in there to train on the field artillery digital acquisition computer 
and artillery firing and so on and so forth. So uh, it was not unusual that Oklahoma City could be a destination for that type of uh, transfer and travel. Yes, makes total sense to me. Well, and so from circumstances of a very extreme nature of family crisis, I was compelled under the mitigating extenuating circumstances of thinking my father was dying to force myself. I may not have had a credit cards back then, but I had cash, which is not an unusual circumstance in my life. Um, I, I flew out there because I knew I had an automobile. I was going to bring back at least one. So I knew I had ways to get back without having a return trip because I didn't know if he was dead or how long the funeral arrangements might take or what other things I might have to take care of in settling the estate. So there were really quite articulable with specificity circumstances that were operated that could have reasonably explained my actions that had, may have seemed to knock the computer had, program. Had somebody asked? Well, yes, but they don't ask because they get paid based upon the number of suspicious activity reports, threat assessments they do. They get promotions. They get continued employment. They have lots of substantial financial and other self-interest that affect their decisions in putting people onto the list, according to the fellow that spoke at the Richard Gage conference. And that's what I have my uh, due diligent research, reading their stuff on these IG reports of the um, on that I got from these cases that I was reading of Latif versus U.S. and so on and so forth. This has to do with a no-fly list, and in some places, it has to do with the terrorist watch list. And so, this terrorist watch list is what I saw on June the eighth after they had used an egregious abuse of deadly force on a <laughs> pretextual traffic stop infraction, uh, which made no sense to me at the time up until I had viewed that while I was sitting in the back of the patrol car after about two and a quarter hours of uh, uh, intense interaction with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police, the Metro Police, and uh, helicopters and snipers and that, grenade launchers and dogs. That, that event uh, lasted two and a half hours? Well, yeah, it did. You know, it, remember, this was kind of an odd day. I'd gone and met early in the morning with a friend of mine that's a law study guy that was giving me a little bit of assistance in doing some paperwork. And I'd bought him breakfast or, or an early brunch, if you will, at a El Polo Loco. Uh, chicken taco place. It's pretty good food. Pojo. And they that's, have that's, that's pronounced Pojo. Yeah, yeah, Pojo. And so I, I'd gotten a big cup of water, uh, you know, about a well, close to 16-ouncer when I was there with him, and that was about 10 o'clock in the morning, so I hadn't warmed up yet, and I did a couple of things and went over to my chiropractor appointment over there at the Las Vegas and Charleston area with Dr. Randall, and uh I didn't know when I went in there, that, you know, but I covered my drink up because I know the desert sun gets pretty hot, and I put a little reflector in my car to keep the sun out as much as I can. But back in June, it was getting to be uh, better than 100 degrees per no, day. I'm sure. I went in there went in for my adjustment and come to find out while I was there, they had an emergency patient from a car wreck 
come in, and I let that woman play through. It, of course, the doctor's polite and kind, considerate request. Of course, I let her go through and be treated. So my normally 20, 30-minute appointment turned into over an hour appointment, and it was afternoon by the time I got out of there, so that car had gotten pretty blithering hot, and I came out, and I got a bad adjustment that day, and my neck was very sore, and uh, it didn't. It was a forced adjustment, and it didn't. I resisted it, and of course, it had deleterious effects on myself, partly from my own uh, resistance from it. And I couldn't hardly turn my head, and I was in a pretty excruciating discomfort and pain that day when I left, and I pulled out, and I I'd seen that police cruiser, that SUV, parked at the external perimeter of the parking lot where I was at. There's quite a few businesses and a really hot one of the best restaurants for breakfast in town, the Amit House. And I, I saw that car, that police cruiser parked out there, and I took particular note of it because by June the 8th, back in February 27th, 2018, they had dismissed that former felony, which I told them in the very beginning that they were making a big mistake and they were acting outside scope, sphere, and color of law and becoming outlaws at the FBI and that they didn't know all the toto circumstances and so therefore they were acting incompetently and becoming outlaws and breaking the law and false arresting me and and I later proved it, you know, in February the 27th, 2017, I got that case dismissed. I think the help from above and a lot of law study and uh, some of the people on this channel and other channels that I communicate with. And that was no small deal, but I gave some mental conscious evaluation to that patrol cruiser being parked where it was, very uh, in line with the sidewalk on a major thoroughfare, Charleston Boulevard here in Las Vegas. And But I kind of dismissed it thinking, well, I, I had that dismissed, so I shouldn't have to worry about that too much. And I continued on my way out the parking lot. But it was hot and devil in my car, and I was hurting and not really paying too much attention to it when I pulled out onto the street and uh, onto the street with a red light there. And it dawned on me I was cooking. It was hot and devil. My air conditioner hadn't started cooling yet. And uh, so I pulled into the 7-Eleven to get a cold drink. And when I did, I had covered up my drink, I think, with a towel. And I bumped it when I did, and I realized I already had cold ice water. That's what I was pulling in was to get cold water. So I changed my mind. The circumstances changed with my new information. And I then altered what I had planned to do and exercised my uh, corollary right on the doctrine of Me Too with the women to change my mind on a moment's notice and altered my pathway. And instead of pulling into the parking place to get water, I then corrected and went on out because I had the cold water and continued on home where I could lay down, <laughs> except for this officer saw what had happened and his subjective interpretive, uh, you know, patrol thing, or maybe they were stalking me and looking for a pretext to stop, uh, to stop me, I think more likely. Um, he pulled in behind me and turned on his fake emergency lights and I naturally pulled to the right to clear so he could go on to his emergency to protect whoever was getting robbed, raped, or pillaged, or whatever else happened, bank robbery or uh, uh, sex assault, or whatever else it was he turned on the emergency lights for. 
And when I pulled over, he pulled in behind me, so I pulled off the side street off of Rancho, and that's when this thing started taking place. It was really, really crazy. Let me ask a question. <laughs> Let me interrupt for a second, Chris. When you pulled out of the chiropractor's parking lot, you were you, you had noticed and had taken note of the patrol car being parked down there. Okay, right? And you drove mm-hmm. past him. You, you don't remember or weren't paying attention to see it was the guy sitting in the car. He must have been because, and he must have turned around and followed you out to get through a red light and across the street and, and execute his actions. Is that sound right? Well, that is precisely correct. I had, I, I had given up that he was there for me at that point because I knew I'd been dismissed. And so I kind of just dismissed him and I pulled on out there. I didn't see when he pulled in behind me, but he did testify in his written declaration of arrest. Supposedly I claim it's false arrest because it was false arrest because he didn't know. He claimed he could read my mind that I intentionally violated a lawful traffic control device by trying to evade. It was his version of facts, but they had no relationship to my reality because he can't read minds and unless he's a mind reader and I want to see some qualification of that. In fact, that was part of what I put in there. I wanted to know where, how much training he had in mind reading in the Metro training program that he'd been through nine months previous. He'd only been on for nine months, so he wasn't a seasoned officer. Ah, so he's a new boy. Yes, well, and I think he might have been picked up by the so-called FBI, Department of Homeland Security, Southern Nevada, Omni-Jurisdictional Joint Terrorism Task Force. Uh, You find that under the Threat Assessment Center, the Threat Security Center, under the uh, Department of Homeland Security's edicts in these cases, and that's some of the things I discovered after the fact. But did he pull in behind me and so on and so forth? When he put that in there that in his report that and see, I saw some really bizarre and super authoritarian, tyrannical behavior from him. You know, I know the law pretty darn good. And I, I showed him my credentials, but I wouldn't give them to him and violate my own Fifth Amendment rights to uh, not incriminate myself without some proof of a felony crime. And this was a traffic pretext, supposedly, he claimed. And until he proofed up his authority, I wasn't going to turn over my property, and he had to have some... Uh, articulate with specific specificity proof of a felony crime in order for me to give up my rights and get out of my car. And this is where it kind of got to be a little deal, and he got to be real hinky with me and moving way back, and my head was so sore I couldn't turn around to see where he was. All I could do, I'd do was look in my mirror, and I don't hear the best anymore. I'm hearing impaired somewhat. And he was trying to talk to me, and I couldn't always hear him. And I was trying to tell him this stuff that I was ADA and hearing impaired, and you know, and so on and so forth. And he, you know, just a whole bunch of really unusual, bizarre stuff was happening that told me that something above and beyond what was normal was taking place because the way he was treating me was not normal. It was abnormal and hyper accusatory and hostile and threatening and terrorizing to me. And I knew something was really up and go ahead. No, I didn't have anything to say. I'm sitting here listening like everybody else. Okay. Well, well at some point because of his, the way he was interacting with me, his bizarre uh, just not normal attitude and being very accusatory and demanding I get out of the car and uh, 
so on and so forth. Well, I'd showed him credentials, you know, and but he went to the Bizarro land, and somewhere in that conversation, I told him, I said, look, if you're going to go here and shoot me, you might as well go ahead and get it over with. You know, I've been through this before, not long ago, and so whenever I, I said something like that, apparently they've been trained. Anybody that makes any kind of reference at all to something of that nature, that escalates the situation yep. or whatever else. But yep. Well, you're be, you're you're being absolutely confrontational, and they don't like that. They want you to be obedient. Um, obviously, well, I, 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 you're you're correct on one count. He usually, when even a new guy, especially maybe even a new guy, when they come up, uh, unless they're just a total jerk, they're going to be pretty nice to you. You know, hey, sir, ma'am, and this, and can I see your registration? Can I see your driver's license? And all that kind of stuff. And they're nice. They're not hostile. So, obviously, he had seen that warning on his computer screen when he uh, did a pre-check on you. Well, I'm not sure when he saw it. In fact, that's one of the critical questions I want in Discovery, is I want to know when he observed that so-called NCIC hit. National Criminal Investigation Computer, uh, Intelligence Computer, uh, when he got that hit on his computer, or was he pre-advised in a pre-shift yeah. briefing when right. they spotted coming out there to take it out? Or, right. You know, I want to know exactly when he became advised and who advised him of it and, uh, and, and they, what basis he has to believe that that uh, NCIC is credible and accurate because I don't think that there's any basis for it, because, in fact, in this um, ID report I'm reading... Doesn't make any difference. If it's going to show up If it's going to show up on that screen, he ain't going to go through some objective process to try and find out if it's right. He's going to presume it's right the minute he sees it. Oh, yeah. Well, if it comes up that I'm a domestic terrorist, armed and dangerous, and that I want to kill police and judges, and that I might be suicidal, I could see where it might drive a guy to expect that the guy is different than he appears and is acting, but uh, I am questioning the validity, the veracity, the accuracy, and the lack of authenticity and qualification and vetting of information that's put in there because now, because of the Obama administration and others, there's been a whole group of these Solinskyite terrorists embedded in government agencies and anybody that says anything that offends them, makes them feel bad, hurts their feelings, they're liable to put you into the National Criminal Investigation Computer Database, Media Database, as a domestic terrorist for hurting their feelings. Yes, that's very true, <laughs> and they have the ability to do that. Are they very – Are you've been holding their feet to the fire on – on this when 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 did you get alerted to it are they reluctant on letting that out oh boy are they ever <laughs> they don't want to discover they don't want to disclose they don't want to comply with us versus jiglio or brady requirements for fully disclosing all inculpatory and exculpatory evidence the prosecution has against you they don't want to discover nothing <laughs> in fact i've got to have a call with them later on today to see when we're going to uh, work on this stuff so I can get this information I have to have to defend myself that's critical and material to my defense and impeaching this officer's false testimony where he testified that I pulled a knife on him, which is a blatant lie. There's no foundation. He asked me if I had any weapons in there, and I told him, well, not unless you consider a four-inch pocket knife to be a weapon. And he says, throw it out, throw it out. <laughs> so I had to reach into my center console and retrieve it. 
carefully, not unfolded, and throw it out the window to comply, to put him at ease. I didn't have any weapons. You know, in his mind, any type of a knife was a weapon, you know, which is preposterous. I use them for utility and as an electrician for stripping wires and cleaning my fingernails and opening hey, packages and cutting strings. You were driving a weapon. No, I, I wasn't driving. I was traveling. No, 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 and no, I had no, 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 no. You missed the point. Me. No, a car is a bigger uh, weapon than a knife. Oh, well, a, a car could be used as a weapon, but it's also a conveyance in Lawwell versus Lawwell. It's a private home conveyance. could be a recreation, and some people actually use it for a home. <laughs> for homeless yes, especially more and more, more and more these days. Um, so anyway, well, at that point, they're they're fighting on this discovery. Now you got a a call with them this afternoon, you say, or a meeting? I've got to call them again. I went down and had a meeting with them recently, a couple of, uh, about a week before the trial, and they had, and at their suggestion, it was their idea. I told them I was having some issues, and they said, "Well, why don't you come down here, and we'll let you look at them down here." I thought that was a nice gesture, and that would be perfectly fine because. They gave me, they told me first there were 55 of these flash drives. They were right. going to be like $5 a piece, so it was a couple hundred bucks for them. Well, when they came up with it, they actually supplied 14 of them. That was 90 bucks. And uh, out of the 14, only six of them worked, so less than 50% actually played for me. Rebate. But those were very revealing. Refund, rebate, please. Well, and, and this is what I was telling. But then, then they came up with this uh, kind of a interesting and novel concept that I was supposed to go to some evidence site called myevidence.com and sign up there, and then they would uh, give, send me the uh, links for those things to view these other videos they claimed. Well, I, I didn't like that idea that I was going to have to give them my email because that was my private email, and I didn't think they should have the right to get but under terrorism, threat, duress, coercion, and the critical need for this evidence, I went ahead and gave them an email. And they did send some emails, and I did go to the site, and against my better judgment and concerns, I went ahead and signed up on it, and it gave me a special printed out access number to access them. But even though I did that, it wouldn't let me access them, so I called the myevidence.com site, to speak with somebody about that, and even though I had that access number and stuff, I still couldn't view anything, and they couldn't help me or wouldn't help me, and so they were obstructing, and of course the the city is trying to transfer the obligation to discover to some third party that wasn't connected to the event, which I find to be a little disingenuous and suspect, and I'm not sure that completely disqualifies them from their responsibility to provide all discovery to me. I think it's the city that has it, not some third party. It's their burden. <laughs> it's their burden. Yeah, they're trying to shift the burden to somebody else. <laughs> they're shifty individuals. And imagine imagine <laughs> that, huh? So, uh <laughs> So the, you know some of the, we've heard the story before, but uh, what really today was to get up as to from your uh, yesterday's call and show and wanting to take that information and get into it, but it does require some background for people that aren't familiar with the background of the case. Um, well, that uh, I'm going to be very interested to see how your meeting with them this afternoon turns out. Um, they obviously well, don't call. like Thank their. You this 
They don't like their feet yeah. being held to the fire, I can tell you that. No. <laughs> well, you know, they're not used to having No, they're not. Attorneys. No. No. <laughs> you're you're an anom- uh, you're an anomaly and they are not used to it and you're correct. And I'll tell you what else. Well, not only are they not used to it, they're scared to death of it. Well, curiously, the chief city attorney, Mr. Steve Reney, showed up in that court where I was at with a, a witness or two, three, in fact, the other day when this uh, so-called trial hearing was supposed to occur, when it turned into a kick it down the road to give the city time to pr- comply with the discovery requirements. And they had a, a gaggle of spectators, young female attorneys that were brought in there uh, to watch this in natural pro per non-attorney presenting his own interest and to take particular note and learn from this situation. I'm wanting to know where my residuals are. I am a professional actor with quite a few movie credits, so I don't think I signed a waiver and I want to know if they're going to use it for training purposes where my residuals are going to come from. <laughs> just, just put them on the, on the award when I sue your ass. That'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I tell you, it's it's quite a little deal. I, it I sounds sure. to me like you've really got them in something, and you've tapped into something that they obviously don't want to open that can of worms, and yet you've got enough force and enough knowledge behind you with the process and the system behind you now to force it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I understand the implications of this very, very well. I am tactically astute, and I'm very studied in their systems and their legal crap that they do to other people. And because I have done a immense amount of due diligence study on these matters for quite a number of years, I'm somewhat astute, at least, in what's going on. And it makes it very difficult for them to deal with somebody that knows their uh, stuff. Yeah, that's right. You're not the slam dunk they're looking for. No, no, no. They 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 falsely presume and assume me to be easy, and I'm not turned out to be as easy as they thought. <laughs> kind of like Tom's stickleback fish example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like being a stickleback fish. It kind of suits me. A belligerent claimant is another term they use for it, and or in somewhat... Uh, and I listened to and read particularly Adderley versus the state of Florida case uh, where they talk about removing yourself from unbenighted ignorance and being not only uh, knowing the law, but being competent to employ the law to your own defense. Yep. That's your duty, really. Absolutely. Uh, rights, duties, and uh, remedies. Correct. <laughs> well, you know, I, I listen to your stuff and John and Glenn's stuff and uh, Brent and other uh, law professionals, the Gordon School of uh, Law and Drill of Law, and you know, what, what, these things are really what, salient points. What was George Gordon's? He he. he what did he call alligator law or crocodile law uh, or Rommel. something? No, that's Rommel. Yeah, I'm talking Rommel. about George Gordon. Yeah. Well, and when and he of was, course, there's Randy Kelton, Rule of Law Radio, and, you know, there's a lot of these uh, law study guys out there that are pretty savvy individuals, and we study all the laws. See, the bar attorneys can only study law from 1933 and beyond. And they don't study law. They don't study no. law. They study no. procedure. <laughs> 
statutes, codes, policies, and procedures. That's right. And well, and this this is this is salient and relevant. But see, we who are not in their bar, which is a control me- mechanism, a shillelagh, a lever rage that they use to keep their attorneys in line and not veering off the path and actually going to the material facts of the case and the fundamental requirements of due process of like intent being the first element of a crime that you got to prove. And if you don't have intent, then you can't be guilty. I understand that pretty clearly, but they don't ever attack those aspects because it's not in their interest. Remember, they're all on the same team. They're actually a big gang and they're fighting against the to destroy us by any means or schemes they deem to be necessary, plausible, or maybe even fun. Oh, announced no, or unbeknownst to the person, they may not understand all of that. They're just going along to get along to get a paycheck and hopefully a retirement check. Okay, there's a job. Sure. Jobs are scarce. This one's secure, as you heard here recently from all those people that got caught inside. It's almost impossible to get fired. You know all that. That's what they're after. For the most well, part. Absolutely. Okay. Well, and, and that is, it's a lucrative employment. You know, they, when they're pulling down a couple of hundred thousand a year and the rest of us are struggling to get 40 or 50 a year, uh, it makes it a rather desirable and lustful aspect that's very lucrative, uh, providing lucrative, I think that's what that means. Uh, they can get what well, the rest of us can't because they perceive themselves to be elites and be above the law because they've become. Well, uh, Here, yeah. here's the line they've here's the line they've crossed mentally. We're the government. No, you're not oh, the yeah. government. We're the government. <laughs> we elect representatives, hopefully in unbiased elections, that go up and pass laws that go through the process that then are applied to us through agents of government. You're not the government. You're an agent of government. And boy, that is a big, important point to hammer into people's minds. Because the minute we start using those generalities, oh, they're the government. No, they're not. That's like a big blob that you can't get out, the kind of crap you're facing right now, okay, and dealing with, instead of these particular agents of government that didn't follow their guidelines and and therefore have stepped outside of their responsibility or doing something they're not supposed to do. Absolutely. In fact, governmentum, that word purred, govern means to control, regulate, administrate, dominate, dominate. Uh, control, you know, these are, this is what govern means. You have a governor on your automobile to control the speed. Well, this is what govern means. And mentum is the mind. So government is really an illusion in the minds of men. They only have power and authority which the peoples are supposed to give to them, but they be an unwilling master. How about delegate? Delegate is a better word. Well, I'm okay with delegate. I don't have any problem with that one. That means to transfer to others, uh, to give them the authority to rule over you in certain s- limited spheres of operations. Well, they have the authority to enforce those, well, if you're a 14th Amendment citizen, all those little man-made laws. Otherwise, there ain't no agents of government. There's law enforcement. And the only way that law enforcement comes into the picture is when there's a damaged party. Now we're going back to common law. And that's why they don't like it because they can't manipulate it and pull that crap with the common law. It's the same reason they fought the colonies. King George said, the people know the law so well, we can't do anything to them. 
Well, and uh, this and, is... A and that wasn't the UCC well, or the law merchant he was talking about. It was the common law out of Blackstones. Yes, sir, you're right. That, that American common land law, law of the land that they talk about, the creator's law of the land where we all are free men is uh, supposed to be. That was what, you know, I read some of uh, Frederick Bastier's treatise, The Law, the other day, out of the preface in particularly, and this is something that people are scared to death of, that uh, we'll actually read these things and become aware of the foundational precepts that common law of the land was predicated upon that was put in by Stephen Langton in the Magna Carta. Yeah, well. And, of course, the next chapter. Later, but <laughs> you know, keeping keeping them barefoot and pregnant is an old idea. Yes, uh, yeah. If you can uh, feed them full of, keep their bellies fat and happy, uh, they are likely are going to stay in line a lot better. When they get to be unruly and uh, you mistreat them too long, they're liable to rise up and try to smite their masters and reform new uh, institutions of government and throw off the chains of outrageous fortune and. Uh, tyrant. What they've really brought to play here that is very rarely mentioned, except in our circles, I guess, is the Pavlovian conditioning that is at the base of all of this. Hmm, Pavlov's dog. Salivate whenever you start seeing and smelling okay. that food. Yeah, so that 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 conditioning, conditioned response, and Pavlov, and this was told to me by uh, remember Brigadier General Benton Parton. Uh, for those of you who uh, might not remember him, he's a retired Air Force general. He was at the time of the Oklahoma City bombing. He was the experts expert in munitions in the United States. And so people went to him. He was a good patriot guy. I guess he's still with us. I sure hope so. And um, uh, he went and wrote a report, proved that the AMFO couldn't have taken down the building, et cetera. He lives right across the river there from D.C., wrote his very uh, a thorough report uh, by, as I said, the expert's expert, the guy that's considered to be on explosives in the country, and hand-delivered it to every member of Congress hand delivered it okay and i've spent time with this guy personally alone okay the three three four hours talking and uh he came to atlanta i got to spend a lot of time with him because i got to take him to the air- airport the next day and i had to stay out Ooh. at david's house the night before because it's a long drive in and out and a long drive to the airport so that morning we got up and we got to spend hours together just sitting there talking him and i I'm an Air Force kid. He was an Air Force general. Uh, and, and so we had a lot of time to talk. And what he would say in his talks was while we were studying Freud, they were studying Pavlov. And that conditioned response is such a big element of all this we're talking about and the way that all the people are reacting, the way the people react to this information. Okay, they get the information. Do they want to be free? Yeah, they think they're free already. They learn how to not, and now they're so intimidated they won't move forward with it. That's Pavlov's conditioning right there. Pavlov was a pretty interesting individual. Of course, Clarendon Pliven, pressure from above, pressure from below, was another circumstance that we have to contend with. Uh, in the Freudian and Hegelian dualectic or dialectic, uh, you die by the choice of the 
false paradigm of the two choices they offer to you that lead to the same conclusory outcome to give you the illusion that you had something to say about it when it was already predestined before they had the meeting. Well, it's a it's a mess, and uh, people have got. That's why this information is so important. It allows the right person. I don't. It doesn't allow everybody because everybody doesn't do it. But it allows the right person to start unwrapping that to the point of where they get empowered enough, and they got the damn guts to file that affidavit. And that's a big step for people, man. I mean, I've seen it over and over again with people that I'm very close to, with listeners, with the impact that we've had over as many years getting this message out to as many people as it's touched. It's touched a lot of people. It just didn't grab a bunch. Those of us that it grabs, those of us that it grabs, our lives are never the same. Those that have a love for the truth versus, I think it's Second Timothy 2, those, because you refuse to believe the truth, I send you many lies. Uh, and the attorneys are always twisting the truth to their own predatory, legal, illegal right. advantage. Now, now, and you know what? Now, now, let, me, let me make a point. Most of these attorneys don't know the truth from a hole in the dirt. All they know is they're looking for billable hours. They were taught all this procedural crap, and most of them hate what they do for a living. Attorneys hate what they do for a living more than any other professional. Well, yeah, get the money is their first parameter. Um, You know, I, I read their stuff, and that's why they hate me, because I expose the stuff that's in their books that teach them how to prey on the rest of us. It tells us they... They don't have to know anything. All they have to do is act as if they do and give people the illusion, but get the money. You can solve any problem for them. Just believe. Be live. There's a lie in the middle of the word believe. It doesn't mean you know. It just merely uh, you're deceived to believe you do, or they deceive you to believe they know, when maybe they don't know. Maybe they do know. Uh, But if you're dependent on that and your life depends on it, like mine depends on it, you know, this is why I do such due diligence study and research and read that magical power and absorb this information as best I can, thanks to the Creator above giving me some special abilities to recall some of these things extemporaneously and articulate them with specificity. Well, you know, we got a good example of that, a real-life example of it here, and I, I don't want the show to get away before you get to go into your cases and your uh, uh, stuff that you, you know, was, we're supposed to cover today, but this is pretty good in, in background conversation. Uh, one of our listeners, Matt, and, uh, is going through a divorce and we've talked about it a couple of times before and he had gone, he was a, a real student. He'd filed his affidavit, had a passport, all that, his foreign wife didn't understand anything, didn't believe anything. And so when they went, are going through the divorce proceedings, it's she wants to use that as a sovereign citizen defense on all these other wacky things that are going on. And so her lawyers, his his female attorney, she didn't care about all this, didn't understand it. But the wife's attorneys got a copy of the affidavit and submitted it into their case. So the the opposition, and uh, here's your talk about all these lawyers. They don't know crap. They had that damn affidavit right in front of them, and they had admitted it into court as evidence. They don't know their butts from a hole in the dirt. They could read that and come to some sort of conclusion, but they didn't. It's the knee-jerk reaction of Pavlovian conditioning. They're out there. All they know is they're chasing a buck. 
okay? Uh, they know they got a law school degree. They know they got a little shingle. They know they can charge all these people, and they think by the most part that they're doing the right thing. But the point is, that guy got up on, on the stand in that trial. They called him up on the stand, evidently. They got him up on the stand, and as he pulls out the affidavit and starts to read it, the judge says, don't read that document. Well, that's very intriguing, Roger. Yes, it is. It's the first time, Chris, to my knowledge, it's the first time maybe outside of John and Glenn's shenanigans over so many years with them, and I don't know about all that, but it's the first time to my knowledge since I've been really uh, doing this the last six, seven years in this capacity that I know that somebody's got that affidavit into a court of law. And when it came to being read, it, they, the judge said, don't read that document. Don't read that. I know this, this will probably surprise you not, uh, however, I've been putting those affidavits in with all my cases for a number of years, and I point out that no one has ever rebutted that affidavit. Yeah, Therefore, right. the rule but, but Chris, it stands as, uh, as but, truth unrebutted. Okay, but yeah. in that affidavit you've submitted, was it filed with the Secretary of State? I have not got it to the Secretary okay. of State. But well, until you do that, though, until you do that, the Lord of the Manor has not given you the blessings to get out. Well, I've, I've been wanting to send it, and I was wanting to get a new passport, but things keep happening that dissuade me from doing that, See? but I'm still going to send him a notice to put it into his well, listen. administrative file is master file. We, we sent a whole bunch of them to the IRS. In fact, the IRS said in court, I've said this before, I never knew it until Glenn told me one day. I was shocked when they were in the middle of that multi-year deal before they sent them off to prison. A U.S. attorney got up in court and said that the IRS had received over 100,000 of those affidavits. Wow. You know what? And you know why no, none of them did any good? because they weren't on file with the Secretary of State first. Hmm. That's an intriguing proposition. Well, that's because what I keep trying to tell you guys, this is the feudal system, and he's the lord of the manor. You you couldn't go to your fellow serf in the feudal system and say, hey, see you, chief, I'm volunteering out. Well, they'll have you hunted down. Well, I am nearly positive I've heard you assert on several occasions that you don't necessarily have to send it with a passport. No, no, no. You can send it. Now, that's the 1835 court, court case we've got, that one I never can pronounce. It says it's not the passport. That's just this ex parte document. It is the information in possession of the secretary that if in a court of law, that should be brought in as the higher and better evidence. They said that in 1835, and it's still black letter law, buddy. And as is the where do they where do they put you volunteer out? Where do they give you the choice anywhere in any agency to volunteer out? The only way I know is if they're asking you what your status is, but you can't back that up unless you've got that thing on file with the secretary of state and you do not have to pay for a passport to get it. You can send it to them cold. Well, I have mentioned that I have access to the secretary of state passport division agents manual. And it says that you can submit it to a 
embassy, a uh, sure. diplomatic consul, sure. to a court, a judge of competent authority. Uh, no, I would, no, 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 I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't present it to any kind of a judge until you got it in your administrative file at the Secretary of State. That's what gives it its the validity. He's the lord of the manor when it comes to this area. Uh, Doug's joined us from Arkansas. Doug has been cold as hell up there the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're correct. Uh, well, not as cold as hell. That would be a misnomer. Uh, uh, I only say that for uh, Chris's sake because he's so uh, cogent and specific. Uh, I really, I love uh, I love Chris. I love you, uh, but I love the the uh, accuracy of using words and all of that. Uh, yeah, I uh, I drove back. I was I uh, traveled up to Missouri to help uh, a brother and friend uh, with some construction work, and uh, I was there for about five days. And I came back uh, driving from the beginning of freezing rain, um, snow etc. But the roads were fine. But anyway, what I wanted to mention, um, and I don't want to take up a lot of time because I want uh, you and Chris to stay on topic because I'm riveted to my seat and enjoying it like a child in a candy shop. Uh, the uh, what I was doing a case here, my own case, I, I was the uh, uh, bring I brought the case to the court. And one of the things I used to do, I did uh, all the time when I filed a document, I, uh, I always um, required and got a, uh, a certified copy of the file when I, do when I uh, placed it into the case. And so what, I, what you would get from that is an updated uh, to the minute um, filing document that goes all the way back to the beginning. So you would see who's filed what, when, right. And, uh, so since I had that in my hand, every time I filed anything and they tried to slip in, they tried, they, they, you know, you write a response or you write something and then they respond, uh, what I found was that they would surreptitiously try to slip something in past the date that was allowable. No, they'd uh, never do the that. Response. They'd never do that. No, no. They're the good guys. They're justice and law. Yeah. So anyway, so I always had the documentation. So that that's all I want to say. And okay. uh, go ahead back to your program. Okay, good. Thanks, Doug, for the interaction. Glad to have you out there, by the way. I thought about you Saturday night. So, uh, uh, okay, Chris, we were talking about Pavlovian and all that stuff. I kind of, uh, when Doug called in, I forget exactly where we were. Uh, oh, no, no, we were on the passport. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. And this is what everybody misses, okay, and that people have such a hard time with, is they have brought in the feudal system. It's hidden under the 14th Amendment under just soleil. You're your your hereditament follows where you're born. That comes from the feudal system. That's how they've brought it in. You see, I've only recently come to understand that, okay, uh, fully. 
at least okay. to, to some extent for me. But that's how they did it, and that's where it's hidden under there is that change in status as to your hereditament. Okay? So it is the feudal system, whether people understand it or not, and whether people believe it or not. And when the feudal system, when you wanted to volunteer out, which you had the total prerogative to do, you had to go to the Lord of the manor to do it because he's the one that you swore the oath of fealty to. The secretary of state is the Lord of the manor in this system. Eustace Mullins, in an old Eustace Mullins book, Chris, I was reading one time, and I didn't understand it back then. It's just one of those things that stuck in my mind, a sentence that just sticks in your mind that years later you go, boom, because it comes back and you understand it, okay? In Eustace Mullins' book, he said, after they took over the government through the Federal Reserve in 1913 and they really got their hooks in there, what is the first office that they went after? Secretary of State. Yes, sir. Now, and see, I didn't understand it back then in the early days. I'm thinking the Secretary of State deals with the whole world. I didn't know that the Secretary of State had all authority on matters of citizenship. All. A-L-L. Total. That's why they went after it first, because they were going to get that office to set up the monetary system that they were going to impose down the line. Well, curiously or not, Roger, that's part of things I found very intriguing in doing my due diligence study of the Inspector General report uh, back in 2004-2007 of the actions under the Threat Security Center, the Department of Home. The Department of Homeland Security and the Secretary of the State are two of the final determining agencies. They have a council that sits on this thing. They have all kinds of stuff. It, it's, it's just it's such a complicated system. There's a couple of different diagrams of how it's set up in that IG report. Oh, I've seen those and things, the schematics of how the office works. Man, there's a whole bunch of key people in there, and it all. But the head knocker, whoever Pompeo now lurch before, yeah, Hillary Clinton in between, whoever has that office, uh, it bears the responsibility of that decision. And that's the person you got to send it to. Once it's there, you know, the, the fish rots from its head down, okay? You go in and get it at the head and the rest of it's, you know? And, and we saw this perfectly with Brian Howard, all right? With our own student, Brian Howard, he's got a show on Thursday afternoon. And Brian Howard was fighting the, the Idaho Department of Transportation on getting a non-resident driver's license, Okay. And, and in the, in the interim, when he was doing one of the appeal steps, the attorney came back and missed a call, first of all. And, and then the next he's saying, no, you can't. And Brian said, would you like to write an affidavit overturning the secretary of state? And you'd have thought that you'd put a Bunsen burner to the guys behind. Okay. <laughs> they know that this is an important deal. They don't know why. But they know it is, and they know those are the structures that they have to work in. 
That's why I oh, tell absolutely. people, you know, we're sitting here talking, you're hearing Doug call in about horror stories and certifications of court records and Chris's story here, which is a damn nightmare, and, and all the rest of that. If, if, and the object of this program is to reach people before they get into any trouble, get them to a point where they've got the the knowledge and confidence to file that affidavit because once that's up there all you got to do is present it and say this is on file with the secretary of state would you like to write an affidavit overcoming this buddy you're going to nip all this crap in the bud that the object of what we do here is to help people not have to get in those court situations oh yeah that's a better thing to stay out of courts for sure remember the courts are really battlefields or war sure they are uh, you're going to the war when you go in there well, you don't realize or cognize that most people don't well that's why they called it the rommel school of law for god's sakes yeah well when you go in there you must comprehend and clearly cogently uh acknowledge cognize that they are all on the same team they are all officers of the court yep. i have found language that say officers of the corrupt court yep they are a war force posed against anyone they can ensnare. That yep. concept is termed just, J-U-S, the law, fetiales, F-E-T-I-A-L-E-S, F-E-C-I-A-L-E-S. A secret, silent war to absolute destruction of anyone they can ensnare into their web of court scheme. And that's why they've got to get on the commercial side, because they can twist all that, and we don't know what they're doing. they got to get away from the common law where there's got to be an injured party, and you got to be in front of a jury of your peers. But listen, I don't want the show to get away from us before we cover the main stuff we we're going to talk about today, which is your research into this no-fly list. So we've got about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so left, so please go into that and we'll try and do it uninterrupted because i know you've done a lot of reading on that here lately well i have and this this is these agencies of government the department of homeland security the tsa the threat security center the threat assessment agents uh analysts they call them these are really really diabolical things because they're all agency actors they don't they're not bound by the change of the Constitution, and in most cases, they've been weaponized. They've become rogue outlaw agencies uh, preying on the people, converting their so-called authority and powers under the Administrative Procedures Act to their own special self-interest. And this is a really diabolical because it circumnavigates, goes in and around the Constitution. It's not part of the Constitution. It's not under the Constitution. That first Executive Order 1, the Lieber Code, Francis Lieber, the War Code by FDR, or Lincoln, excuse me, Lincoln, and he was the first one that administered the first one, the Jesuit uh, Zionist of Lincoln, a.k.a. Springsteen. He was an enemy of America. His best friend was Joseph Stalin, I think, if I read correctly. And uh, these are these are diabolical things that we are but, deceived to believe yep, that he was a great emancipator and uh, great enslaver. Right, but let me tell you something. Where the rubber meets the road, you get that affidavit in the Secretary of State's administrative folder with your name on it, and none of that stuff makes a damn bit of difference. None of it. Well, and this is stuff I've, I've gleaned from reading their stuff. Whenever you get that affidavit in there, and you get that not, that 
I like to clearly delineate it as whatever state you're birthed in. I'm an Oklahoma state, American, non-citizen U.S. national. Non-citizen U.S. national is the verbiage, the language, the art terms they use in the current but, but hold passport on. form. Yes, it is. All right, but let's, there's an important point here. In the passport form, because of its importance, and especially this area right here, they've got to be really tricky and, and, and specific. Now, if you go to an I-9 form, which is the form that anybody that goes to any kind of employment in That's the country correct. has to fill out now. They don't call it a non-citizen national. They call it a U.S. national. Now, let me see, tell you what I've come across in some of this cyber stuff, okay? And they call it a Samoan national. <laughs> I haven't heard that term because, before. Well, with all these, all these coins, the only people that can't participate are citizens of the United States and residents. The only people in the world that can't participate are citizens of the United States and residents under the 14th Amendment. So these coin companies that are trying to say, well, where are you from all over the world want to participate, and they don't have American, they don't have U.S. They've got Samoan National. So that's what I check. Well, curiously, that was the selection whenever I signed up on the MyEvidence.com. It had U.S. citizen. Well, I knew I wasn't one of those. And so I select um, a, a Samoan, um, uh, say American Samoa. That was the selection that was offered. Yeah, right. That's the way. That one would have <laughs> and what are the and what's an American Samoan? A non-citizen U.S. national. Oh, by the way, you can be one of those two if you file one of these pieces of paper. Well, in fact, under the Immigration and Naturalization Act, they issue visas. Uh, there's I-9s, there's some other ones. The I-9 under the visa program is tantamount to the non-citizen U.S. national, which has diplomatic, consular, and ambassadorial immunity okay. protections and preclusions from being held to the statutes, codes, policies, and procedures okay. here in the corporate U.S. All right, Matt. Matt just sent me a message. He likes to interrupt me during the show here. He won't call in. He likes to send stuff where you get that noise. We are still under the Libra code, he says. Not if you filed an affidavit, pal. You're an old state citizen, and none of that crap has any effect on you. That's my, that's my assessment. If you can prove me different, well, prove it. Yeah, I was only going to say that might also be called the lie barcode, the barcons, lies. Uh, this is this is really nefarious stuff. The Lieber Code came in with the Civil War. It's part of the 14th Amendment. That affidavit yeah. negates all of that. Well, that was the Alien Sedition Act. where they, We were all declared to be alien enemies of the state again, uh, the foreign state that was taken over this country. So, look, we're getting short on time. I want your research on this no-fly thing. Well, th let me give people the uh, the citation, if I can find it here. My Just give them the names of the... Just don't give them the citations. Just give them the, the style of the case. They can go into any search engine and drag it up. Well, the easy one to find is Latif, capital L-A-T-I-F, versus Holder. That's Eric Holder. He was the uh, attorney general under Clanton, and uh, then we had Lynch. And hopefully was, soon to be indicted. Go ahead. Yes, we hope so. And 
Under this case, it talks about this no-fly list and the methodologies for going to these different agencies to get your name removed. They have an incident complaint center uh, under the threat assessment group. Uh, threat, threat assessment center is, has a complaint, and they say that they're action or uh, complaint-driven uh, And when they do these special assessments. And they found a high rate of... Uh, wrong information, dangerous information, of incomplete, mismarked, all sorts of errors, over 50% of the information in the database, which makes it effectually useless as evidence and very dangerous to Americans and innocent people who have been wrongfully entered into that uh, database, like myself. Uh, and it gives you a process for extracting yourself. And, you know, be sure to look at the footnotes when you read these cases because a lot of times they'll give you links to follow for other stuff. This is where a lot of the salient information is hidden in opinions that are written, especially the adverse opinions, that of dissent. Uh, this is the ones that you really want to read because yeah. usually they're the most honest. Always. The real implication. Biggest problem in the patriot movement is no patriots ever read a dissent. <laughs> well, a few of us have, and a few of us that love America that get into the stuff deeply realize how important those dissenting opinions, uh, Judge Learned Hand and Black. And, uh, how about you know, John Harwell? Oh, yeah, Harlan, the great dissenter. That's, that's a great uh, resource. I mean, they've got all these different little nomenclatures, these acronyms, these assimilated letter characters, the first letter of each of the descriptor of these different offices and agencies that fall under here that do different functions. But the FBI is a sole source for many of it, and because the FBI is abject corrupt, it has been co-opted, taken over by anti-American interests of the Solinskyite-Hillary Clinton gang, as is an evidence playing out on the stage every day. Every day. Of every day. Yes, ab absolutely. I mean, it is just an onslaught of continuing trying to get disclosure, discovery, trying to disclose the applications for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, Section 702 of the FISA courts and the abuse of the FISA court procedure uh, by Mary. Let me, let me, uh, let me tell you one. They're sitting uh, on they're sitting on one right now that blow the FISA thing out of the water, and that's the Anwar brothers scandal. Okay. Oh yeah, that's Debbie, the, uh, and, and what that's happened? The guys that's, had. And what did the Washington D.C. police, who had jurisdiction over it, because it's the House of Representatives, what did they do with the case, Chris? Uh, I think they punted it. No, well, no, no, no. well in essence, in essence, they did punt it. They turned it over to the FBI, and nothing's done with it. Well, the that, FBI I'm telling you that that Anwan Brothers control. case. This thing with the Anwan brothers up there that they're desperately trying to keep under the carpet, that thing could blow a whole lid off of it because I believe that was an Israeli Mossad op that came in, used a Pakistani because the Pakistani intelligence service is like joined at the hip with the Mossad. And they were using him as a front. He was the IT guy for 45 Democratic senators. And they were sucking all of that information out of there, and they're covering this up and calling it bank fraud. Well, and Hillary Clinton transferred all the uh, Intel database 
files to China. I mean, this stuff of what they've done is so egregious. It's it, egregious. It's egregious. Okay, let's go on. I don't want to run out of time. Let's cover your bases. I'm sorry to get off track, but that Anwan Brothers thing is really on my radar. Keep going. Well, and this is what, you know, and, and that's a whole different rabbit hole, but sure it's it operant. And these things are all colliding in a cacophony it, of expositive circumstances that are bringing all these issues to light. That ain't a rabbit. Stage. It's not a, nationalism. It's not a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit canyon. Yo, absolutely. It is a vast canyon, and you're exactly right. I mean, this stuff is, I mean, when we go to T-Rex, <laughs> the, the terror review examination unit, the threat assessment analysis unit, the uh, manual entering of the targeted individual they call the nomenclated or the nominated individual. I mean, these are things you right were nominated. that I'm reading. You were nominated to be put on that list, were you? <laughs> well, gosh, who, well, who, I want to know who the hell it was. I'd like to know who the nominees <laughs> were that I can accept this award. Well, well, these are the things that I'm... See, this judge that was on there, this pro-temper retired judge, right. quite a bit of savvy. He was quite a stoic-looking individual. He was pretty introspective. He said, I know what you're doing here. <laughs> I guess he thought he could read my mind. He went to the same course the cop did. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. The Metropolitan Las Vegas MPD mind reading school of phrenology and bump reading. That's not an internet course, is it? <laughs> well, you know, I try, you know, when I write, I might incorporate some humorous aspects and the illusions or the points I'm making. And I think that sometimes in law writing, that might actually show that you're might know a little bit uh, and be a worthy adversary uh, the, for him to deal with. There and, been some, you know, it's kind of a tip of the hat. There's been some <laughs> great humor written into some of those cases. I remember uh, a tax case that was some judge back at the turn of last century, and he said, taxes is like plucking a goose. Your object is to get the most feathers with the least amount of hiss. Yeah, well, they don't like it when the, remember, uh, Silas the Lamb, you don't like it when they bleat, do you? <laughs> Clarice. <laughs> Stop the lambs from bleeding. <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely insane because this takeover of the criminal's justice system by the Barcons and this gang of mobsters that run the bar, like Mule Liar and Rob the Rat Rosenstein and Michael the Porn Lawyer, the, dirt, oh. the, the what do they call him? The maybe the sleazy Porn Lawyer evidently. <laughs> maybe he's going to be. You know, Hillary's evidently running in twenty twenty again. That was the news yesterday. Maybe Avenetti's going to be a running mate. <laughs> Yeah, that could be. That would be uh, apropos. Um, uh, listen, before the show gets away from us, and I love this banter, okay, uh, but at, at, out of what you've read and what you've studied, do you have a remedy for this that you're going to pursue well, outside of suing their butts uh, from here to Shanghai? Well, you know, I'm working on a, a multi-pronged attack, uh, defense, uh, maybe called an attack, they will term it an attack as a defense for me. But one, I am 
through my paperwork. This is something I think worthy of note, Roger, and I think you'll like this. In my address or my mailing location block, I'm now incorporating the non-citizen U.S. national moniker after my name uh, in the mailing location to put it right up front, right from the get-go. When they type it in, okay. they mail it to me. Well, put that stuff in there. well, then put something behind it and file the damn affidavit with the Secretary of State. Well, yes. I, I, in fact, I've got an affidavit, and I have a uh, notice, uh, notice of condition preceding, a lawful notice of condition preceding, which is basically is like the preface. It sets the terms for all paperwork that comes uh, forever, forth, and after, not pro tunk. And so it's it's a really powerful document. And these are things I got that from Al Whitney's site. She's got a a, a basic template. Of course, I always. Uh, enhance mine and expand them and try to I'm continually don't, don't, yeah, you know uh, my my suggestion to this don't, don't enhance it don't verbalize it keep it real simple and tell them what you're not keep it simple keep it down to a couple of bullet points get it notarized send it to the secretary of state return receipt requested and go about your life the more you complicate, and that's all of our people want to do that. I understand it. We've spent a lot of years in the trenches learning about this stuff, and we want to add our own touches and embellish it and all that stuff. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. It may make you feel good, but why take a chance of clouding the water? The more stuff people put in there the more and make direct statements, the more you give them a chance to have something to object to. The well, simpler you keep it and the most straightforward, I'm not related to black slaves after the Civil War. I mean, you could write that in that one statement and send it to them. It'd do the job. That's an interesting point. <laughs> That's very salient. You know, Roger, this, is, this, this platform that you have here is so, it, it's educational almost completely. You know, we may have a little entertainment here and there as we go through, and, you know, I'm always thinking of songs that apply to the concepts you're putting on there. Uh, somebody was talking about Confuse Ion earlier, and I figured Ball of Confusion by Temptations was right. appropriate. That's, that, what that's they a like good song. That was back when I was in radio. We were playing that. Sure, and Psychedelic Shack, who's <laughs> another one. But uh, it's, these were fabulous songs, and they all had messages. And I didn't know at the time that most of the people that were writing these songs had deep state connections to the CIA and other intelligence operations. Most of their fathers and mothers were all deep-level, deep-staters and the secret uh, senior executive services branches of the it's certainly behind the government. Certainly, right some were uh, the uh, Doors guy was one of them. Uh, I guess there were others. Jim Morris, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, well, before we run out of time, it, yeah. do, do you have? And we're going to run out of time in a minute. I was trying to get this covered. We spent two hours of this banter, but it's been productive. Okay, uh, do you have a direct remedy here for your getting off of that list? Well, yes, you can send complaints to the Threat Security Center Council, to the Department of State, to the Department of Homeland Security, to the FBI, Inspector General Omnibudsman, and note that you have a complaint about mis and wrong information that was in error placed into your uh, metadata file of 
that go this is a dangerous thing this stuff goes downstream and when they put you in there it goes not only to those agencies but it goes to local state municipal and global interpol and other international security agencies so you can really be up a paddle if you're trying to fly that's what the ibrahim case is about uh, and, and being included on the no-fly list and being obstructed with, from being able to travel or birth or All right, important question, and we're about to run out of time here. Were those guys citizens or nat, uh, nat, naturalized or uh, residents? Those people in the cases you're reading about. In some of those cases, they were, some of them were non-resident aliens. Others were actually uh, military no, people. No. All right, let's get our nomenclature. Hold it. Let's get our nomenclature. Let's get our nomenclature straight. They weren't non-resident aliens, as it applies to 26 CFR 1.1-1A. They were foreigners. Yes, foreign, okay. foreign people that that weren't from America, constitutionally diverse. Are you, See, you, got, you got to understand where this stuff is, how it applies, what it means, how they've twisted it, and how to get out of it. And the way you get out of it is you educate yourself, go over to AUS Passport for, for the number 4ed.com. AUS Passport, the number 4 the word ed.com, and there's two illustrations of one-page affidavits, one for whites, one for the other for blacks and naturalized people. Uh, we're Obviously, we're running out of time. Uh, Chris, thanks for the input today. We, I guess we'll continue this tomorrow if you want to. Uh, there's all kinds of other stuff breaking, so we don't know between now and then what's going to happen. But uh, very good show today, and I hope people got something out of it. If the one thing you drag away from this, get that damn affidavit on file with the Secretary of State before you go in there and screw something up that's harder to undo. Yes, sir. I mean, you know, that's the, that, that's the bottom line right there, okay? So we're about out of time. Let me jack up the music. Shane, thanks for sitting in. Doug, good to hear from you, buddy. Thank you, Chris. Stay warm up there. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Good Lord willing in the creek don't rise. I'm off to have lunch with the expats. So uh, we'll check with you manana in la manana. From, Give them our best. Bye-bye. Yeah, yep, yep. From beautiful Combaya, Ecuador, and it is very lovely today. I'll say hasta luego. See you tomorrow. Ciao, ciao.